Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Hi there! Welcome to History in Retrograde. This is the podcast where we use the ancient art of astrology to help us better understand the past. I'm your co-host, Chandler O'Quinn, and joining me live via satellite is my mom! Hi, Mom! Hi, Chandler! How are you? I'm doing very well. Are you ready to begin another grand experiment? I'm very ready. Let's go! All right, let's give it a whirl! All right! Hello, everybody. We're so happy that you're there and listening. We're very excited to have you there. We love you all, and we hope you're going to enjoy this show very much. Uh, Yes. uh, Hello there to uh, everyone listening uh, all across uh, this uh, great nation of ours and all around the wonderful world. Uh, We are uh, so grateful uh, that you have uh, chosen to spend uh, this next uh, hour or so with us. Uh, for those of you, if you uh, have uh, decided to come in and uh, start listening uh, wherever we are, the 13th or so episode in our second season, welcome. Uh, so uh, the way that we do things here, we've got quite the party going on. Uh, so uh, in a moment, I will give the astrological birth data of a random historical figure to my mother. Uh, she will then input that information into the back computer, and out will come the astrological birth chart, where all the planets, moons, and stars were at the moment this person was born. Uh, Now, you, the listening audience, already know who this historical figure is. It is in the title of today's episode. I, of course, know who it is because I selected this person, but Mom, do you have any idea who we're going to be talking about today? No, I do not. I never do. Uh, And that's what makes such a compelling podcast episode. (laughs) Uh, so, uh, we will be doing things just a a little bit differently today, uh, because it was very hard for me to uh, find a birth date for the person that I wanted to talk about. Uh, So instead, uh, we're going to be looking at uh, an event that happened in this person's life, a pretty seminal event in their life. Uh, We're also going to take a look at that event uh, as it affects someone 
who uh, we have already talked about previously. Uh, then uh, Mom will do her best to uh, give us uh, what she can of reading this chart of what's going on in the stars, and uh, I will then uh, reveal to her uh, what this event is and who the person we are talking about is, uh, give a little background about the event, and then uh, we'll come together at the close and see uh, how accurate the charts were at predicting uh, what this event would look like. Uh, so without any further ado, let us begin. Okay, let's go. Uh, so this is an event. Yes. That occurred on the 5th of September. Okay. 1593 JUL. My keyboard is not cooperating with me. JUL refers to the Julian calendar. We had not quite switched over to the Gregorian at this point. Uh, so for time, uh, I don't really have an exact time for us, but I would give an estimate that it would be in the uh, afternoon. Uh, so uh, let's go with uh, 2 o'clock p.m. Okay. And this occurred in uh, what is now known as the United Kingdom. Do not know where my keyboard is acting out today. Mercury retrograde. Okay. Uh, all right. Is there a town? Greenwich. There we go. <laughs> uh, okay. Uh, so uh, we have uh, this event occurring on the fifth uh, of September in 1593 in the Julian calendar, happening in England, uh, in Greenwich. Okay. Oof. <laughs> okay. Um. Uh. <laughs> I don't even know where to start with this. Okay, I'm just going to go. <laughs> I'm just going to go through and, and read off the planets and um, their sign to start with. Mm -hmm. So, uh, first of all, I'd like to say that this has an ascendant of 22 degrees Sagittarius. And um, then the sun is at 22 degrees Virgo. The moon is at 20 degrees Taurus. Mercury is at 18 degrees Libra. Venus is at 7 degrees Leo. Mars is at 9 degrees Pisces. Jupiter is at 12 degrees Capricorn. Saturn is at 7 degrees Leo. Uranus is at 5 degrees Aries. Neptune is at 13 degrees Leo. Pluto is at 16 degrees Aries. The North Node is at 2 degrees Gemini. And Chiron is at two degrees Gemini. So there is also uh, an interception here with uh, Gemini. Is it Gemini or Taurus? Taurus, no. Gemini, Gemini, and Sag. It's got to be Gemini and Sag. So interesting. Uh, all right. Um, first house cusp is Sagittarius. Well, first of all, clearly this is a, 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 a very dynamic situation. Okay. Mm -hmm. You have a lot of aspects to this situation. You have a lot of energy, um, 
uniqueness to this situation. You have Jupiter in the first house in Capricorn. If you're going by this time of day, which I feel pretty confident that you have chosen for a reason. (laughs) So (laughs) I don't know what that reason is, but Jupiter in the first house in Capricorn, first of all, having Jupiter in Capricorn is, it, it can be a couple of different things. Okay. So Jupiter in Capricorn, you would think, oh, okay. Uh, this is really good with finances and money and sort of, um, executive, maybe government, uh, because it's Jupiter. So it's benevolent, uh, and it's in the first house. So this looks benevolent. This looks, um, I almost want to say lucky, uh, because it's Jupiter. And it's in the first house. So it has an appearance of benevolence, like too much. Like Jupiter is always a lot because it's the most, if that makes any sense. And it's in Capricorn. So it has to do with, it could be one of two things. I mean, because Capricorn is ruled by Saturn, which is control and government and teaching, um, not teaching like, like, uh, like Sagittarius, but learning lessons, like lessons to be learned. And this is a lot of that. So the dark side of this could be, this is a huge lesson, gigantic for people looking at it from the outside. Okay. Then we have, uh, and what's interesting is that we have no planets in Capricorn. Okay. No, I mean, that's not true. What I'm trying to say is we have first house cusp is Sagittarius. Second house cusp is Aquarius. Okay. So where we have our interception, uh, I'm still, I've got to do more is, um, yeah, there's no cancer house cusps and there's no Capricorn house cusps. So this Jupiter, the most Capricorn has no home. It has no real place. So it's sort of floating around in this first house with no connection, if that makes any sense. And then, um, I mean, maybe it'll make sense more when I know what's happening, how that interception is working. And so, uh, second house cusp is Aquarius where it should have been Capricorn. It is Aquarius. And in the second house, we have Mars, uh, in, in um Pisces okay Mars in Pisces at nine degrees in the second house so Mars is your passion your motivation your drive your ambition and it is in Pisces in the second house so having Mars in the second house should make you very motivated for material things, but it's in Pisces. So Pisces are not so definitely attached to material things. They're more about esoteric things and art and, um, beauty, uh, as in like music and poetry and writing and all of these things. And then also Mars is, um, in Pisces because that's ruled by Neptune. So it can be, um, deception, the illusion, 
uh, creating an illusion around finances, somehow creating an illusion like smoke and mirrors around finances, something like that. Maybe. Anything to do with the sea? It absolutely could do with the sea because it's in Pisces. So it could be happening on the sea, on the water, you know? Uh, anything, anytime you have Pisces or Neptune, okay, wherever you have anything, any Pisces aspects or wherever your Neptune is, and this Neptune is in Leo in the eighth house of legacy, all right, where... We'll, we'll get to that in a minute, but mm -hmm. this Neptune with Leo, all this stuff is very dramatic. Okay. Because anytime anything is in Leo, it's going to be very dramatic where it's, whether it's going to be, um, leading someone into something or it is just really super dramatic with the lessons and the communication, you know, Mm -hmm. So let me go back down here to the second house where we have uh, the Mars in Pisces. Okay. Third house is we have Uranus and Pluto uh, both in Aries in the third house. Third house is we, oh, Uranus and Pluto together. That is so much in Aries. It's like, just like, uh, very fiery explosions out of nowhere. Total burn down the Phoenix. I mean, literally burning because it's fire. Okay. It's Aries fire in the third house. Third house is early education, siblings, um, communication, it's ruled by Gemini. So somehow there is a lot of fiery communication, war communication, or could be super passionate, but I mean, I don't know how that would work out, but it is definitely very, very fiery. Fourth house is Aries. Okay. And there's nothing in the fourth house, but fourth house. Wait a minute. Why am I not? That is Aries. And this is, I, the, <laughs> it's because of the interception. I'm so sorry. Let me double check. Okay. Sagittarius Aquarius. Pisces is the third house. Okay, it's ruled by Pisces, but these Aries planets are in there. Then we have this later degree. See, this late degree here is Pluto at 16, but this is all the way to 29 right here, uh -huh. right? So this is my zero degrees Aries house cusp, all right? And there's nothing in there, but the fourth house is ruled by Aries, so it's going to be very... Again, fire, very fiery, but in a, I mean, when fourth house is ruled by Leo, I see it as being very golden, you know, like the sun. They have lots of gold, like gaudy gold things. I mean, sorry, sorry, Leo, fourth houses, but 
Um, it doesn't have to be that way, but it can be that way. It's very kind of over the top. But with Aries, it's going to be a little bit more. Um, the difference between if you have antiques with a lot of gold on them, or if you have antiques with like carved wood. Do you understand the difference? It's still very dramatic, but one of them is a little more subdued than the other one. So this would be that sophisticated uh, elegance, but subdued. But it could also just be war because it's Aries. So there's that. Fifth house, we have the moon and north node. Fifth house cusp is Taurus. And we have the moon in a moon at 20 degrees Taurus. And then the north node is at two degrees Gemini. All right. So that north node in Gemini in the fifth house actually conjunct Chiron in the sixth house. Very interesting. So fifth house, we have the moon in Taurus, which is very earthy, very um, in touch with food and farmers and growth of food and industry and distribution of uh, goods. Um, and in the fifth house, it is dealing with things that are fun. I mean, fifth house is hobbies and uh, romance and children and theater and performing and uh, entertainment. And then having North Node and Gemini in the fifth house also, that is the direction of this. There is the need for entertaining or leadership. Maybe they, they, they this, ha, this is leading something, leading the way. I don't know. There's some direction that has to do with this North Node and Gemini, and that is communication. So, but it's conjunct Chiron in the sixth house, which have to, has to do with work. So, uh, interesting. Somehow, this idea of entertaining and this drive for entertaining or leadership, uh, is possibly instigated by uh, past issues with communication that need to be healed. It's something at the work, in, in the work. Something about work, health, Virgonian things, organization maybe. It's about Virgo. It's about sixth house. Um, is any of this making any sense? Yes. <laughs> okay, because this is a wild one. It's harder when you make me do events. Okay, so we have um, sixth house cusp is Gemini and seventh house cusp is also Gemini because of the interception. So there is 
No planet in the seventh house. Cancer is kind of just hanging out in there, like Capricorn is in the first house, but it doesn't have any real... It's sort of like it floats above it, you know, like if 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 it were a balloon floating above it, it's not connected. It's not plugged in, you know, so um, you've got this Gemini feeling going from sixth through seventh, and that can be a lot of chatter, <laughs> a lot of uh, of gossip, a lot of information that may or may not be true it could be also dealing with individuals who are business partners uh people any one-on-one relationships and also contracts um any kind of contract negotiations so i feel that this is a lot of gemini and this chart doesn't have the grounding points of cancer and capricorn so it's a little uh, charged up. It's a little charged up, this chart. Like there's a lot of energy here because you have extra Gemini and extra Sagittarius, which is giving it a lot of um, frequency, vibration. Uh, it's, you know, like somebody plugged it into a, a light socket or a lightning bolt. And um, then we move to the eighth house which is ruled by Leo. And it has the sun, Neptune, Venus, and Saturn in the eighth house. We have the sun is at Virgo, but Neptune and Venus and Saturn all in Leo conjunct by degree. All right. Uh, Eighth house, Venus and Saturn conjunct at exactly seven degrees in Leo and Neptune in Leo at 13 degrees conjunct all of these, which is making it like a powerhouse of the sun. Okay. Because Leo shines brightly. All right. Whenever people talk about Leo people or people who have Leo placements, they are always front and center. You do not miss them. They are not hiding. They are in the front. They are not afraid to lead. They are not afraid to step out. Um, in this situation, having Neptune in the eighth house is very interesting because the eighth house is already secrets. It's already hidden things. It's already legacy. It's already um, taboo things. Uh, and now we have Neptune there. (laughs) So it's like you have a double dose of hidden things, the illusion, the, uh, cloaked things, cloaked things with a leadership, the ability to cloak the, uh, the leader has the ability to cloak themselves or the situation. Um, Venus conjunct Saturn is lessons with love, lessons with what you love, 
lessons that are controlling what you love because Saturn is controlling but Saturn in Leo is um, somehow there is a control on this situation and maybe that control is making it be necessary or naturally is inclined to be cloaked or hidden or maybe it's not. Maybe it's like a big boastful, ha ha, you have no idea what we're doing kind of situation because it's Leo. Okay. Maybe that makes sense. I don't know. Now we go to the sun is in the eighth house as well. And it's in Virgo. So the sun in Virgo being a mutable sign with the two houses in Sagittarius and the two houses in Gemini and the Mars in Pisces. These mutable signs, uh, when they all get going like this in this carousel, can kind of look like you're playing pinball with about 15 balls. Okay. It can get very energized and um, frenetic even. Uh, we would hope that somehow this sun in Virgo is going to start to organize some of these things, but there's so much energy in this chart that could be difficult. Um, then we have the ninth house cusp is a Virgo, but we have Mercury in Libra in this house. So Mercury in the ninth house is communication with regards to education, higher education, learning, dogma, religion. Um, there should be a lot of discussion, negotiation about religion or education but there's a lot oh, or fairness, maybe discussion about the fairness of religion, something like that. And uh, it because it's in Libra, which is the scales, which is to balance, to be fair, to be, um, you know, correct and just. And then this Midhaven is also in Libra, which makes the career aspect of this sort of charming, like in the midst of all this whirlwind of energy is this charm, charm in the negotiations or fairness in the negotiations. And this, we have Libra on the 10th house, which means that the career and the activities with regard to career government um, uh, reputation are fair and good and pretty, but we also have Scorpio in the 10th house because see it changes right here. And we have no planets in Scorpio, none at all, which is probably good for this chart because that's a lot. There's so much already going on. Uh, but we have, um, Scorpio 
on the 11th house cusp. And then we have uh, Sagittarius on the 12th house cusp with no planets. And then Sagittarius on the first house cusp. So we have, uh, like I said, two houses that are ruled by Gemini and two houses that are ruled by Sagittarius. Um, do you have any questions? Um, I think, at th is there anything else that you want to say about um, this uh, this day, this moment? as you have seen from this chart? Um, <laughs> I mean, usually you ask me questions and right, then it kind of guides go... me to a place where I might have a question or something else to say, but I don't think I do right now. I think that right now I'm just going to say that this is very, very energized. Uh-huh. So, um... This is the moment uh, at which uh, two very powerful women met for the first time. Mm -hmm. And one of those women was Queen Elizabeth I. Uh -huh. uh, so I think at this time I would like to see what uh, 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 Queen Elizabeth's chart looks like on this day. Oh, okay. Uh, let's see then. All right. Yeah. So, um, Jupiter is transiting her first house. All right. So the things I said before about Pluto and all that, are, they do not have any effect on this because it was the wrong chart. This is the correct chart. And she has Jupiter transiting her first house, which actually is very good for her. Having Jupiter transiting your first house should make you very popular. Uh, it could make you gain some weight. Um, you could have lots of lovely uh, things to it. I mean, just full on, like, you know, Bacchus, like everything, you know, it's very good. It's very plentiful. All right. And then she has Mars transiting her second house. And uh, that's in um, Pisces. Although she does not have a Pisces house cusp. Okay. So she has Mars floating around the top of her second house cusp that's in Aquarius. So even though the Mars is in Pisces, it's transiting her Second house ruled by Aquarius. So it has something to do with humanitarian issues, groups of people, that kind of thing. All right. And she does have Neptune and Chiron in her second house, but Mars is not conjunct those yet. This Mars is at nine degrees um, Pisces and her Neptune is at 29 degrees Pisces. All right. So we're not there yet, but <laughs> she does have Uranus and Pluto transiting her second and third houses. And this Pluto in Aries transiting her third house. And this chart over here has Pluto and Uranus in the third house. So Maybe this is about war. Maybe this is about siblings. 
Maybe this is about childhood. Something having to do with childhood and uh, communications about direction, passionate communications about direction, uh, and great change, possibly great change in direction and communication. Like anytime you have Pluto transiting anything, it is a slow burn down to a cinder and then regrowth of the phoenix. So no matter where it happens, and in this particular situation, it's happening in the third house, which is communications, and it's in Aries. So maybe communications about war. I don't know. But also Uranus is transiting her second house, which is putting finances in a very interesting uh, lightning bolt changes, possibly having to do with groups of people, but also um, Uranus represents, you know, technology and um, quick change, very fast and unique, very unique. All right. She has moon transiting her, her fourth house, but the moon is transient. It changes signs every two and a half days. So you can't, you know, put a whole lot into that moon. And then North Node is just on the cusp of her fifth house. And that North Node is in Gemini. And uh, two degrees in going into her fifth house. This is a time where she's going to be very interested in entertainment, theater, performing, and somehow it's a healing thing. This North Node in Gemini conjunct Chiron and Gemini, there's something about healing and it is going to conjunct her natal Mars. So she is already very um, interested in performances and theater and things like this. We know this about Queen Elizabeth I. It's in her natal chart. She's interested in it. Um, in this situation, that sort of is going to be um, focused on or she will have to be called to lead. Um, I would prefer to think that she was going to spend some time, you know, hanging out in the theater, but it could be a need for her to communicate with regards to being the leader that she is the queen over things that have happened in the past that need to be healed. Maybe, um, she has her north node in the seventh house at 25 degrees Leo. And she has transiting Neptune and Venus and Saturn charging towards that in her seventh house. So there's some sort of partnership involved here with these transits and illusion and the veil. Neptune represents... Um, film 
So it could be something very creative, a partnership, a creative partnership, but also maybe romance or a lesson about romance or learning about romance. Venusian things could be material things. It's in her seventh house. So I'm thinking some sort of partnership. And then the sun is transiting her eighth house. So this is um, a very, like, sh maybe even shining light on her um, possibly hidden things or... Uh, I don't think it's about legacy. I think this is more about r revealing things to herself. Somehow things are revealed because the sun is shining on it. Um, then she has Mercury, Mercury transiting her ninth house. And so that is some sort of new, um, or communication about uh, philosophies, communication about dogma, religion, um, uh, education, travel. It can have to do with travel because uh, ninth house is ruled by Sagittarius. So all those Sagittarius things that are ruled by Jupiter. Um, so that's all of her transits as far as the houses that they're transiting. I could get into squares and all that kind of stuff, but that's not what I normally do. I normally just do a general overview. Uh-huh. Do you have any questions? Uh, yeah. So uh, I've already said that this is an event in which um, two uh, very powerful women meet, one of them being Queen Elizabeth. Mm -hmm. um, anything to show here um, what that meeting might look like, what that meeting might mean to her? Well, if we're talking about one-on-one, -on -one, I think that in a way she might not have all of the information because she has transiting Neptune there. So something is veiled as, as if she can't see all of the information. All right. It isn't all revealed to her. Uh, maybe this represents the woman. This woman, Venus, is possibly older, maybe Saturn could be older woman, but everything is not revealed. Does that make sense? Uh, they're very close in age, but maybe uh, there's a maturity. Um, it could be because it Saturn doesn't necessarily have to be older. It's it is it can be a maturity situation, but also there's something about either like people who have Neptune Pisces placements and Neptune placements, like having Neptune in the first house makes it really easy for you to slip into character as an actor. So in this situation, all I can say is that it, it's transiting her seventh house. Okay. And clearly Neptune is transiting her seventh house along with Venus and Saturn. So there could be lessons to be learned regarding something that is not revealed or an illusion. It has something to do with that. Some aspect of Neptune dealing with aspects of Venus 
and aspects of Saturn in Leo, which is sort of like, which is like, maybe they're vying for leadership. I don't know. Because it's Leo. It's interesting that you chose this particular time because it's put both of their ascendants so close. You see? Uh-huh. She has Capricorn rising, but just at six degrees. And this has Sagittarius rising at 22 degrees. Yeah. But also, this chart does not reveal the Capricorn or the Cancer, right? So this, right. this event doesn't have those aspects in it. So it, with that in mind, Queen Elizabeth I is also in a situation of, 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 of cloak, if that makes any sense. I mean, I could do a sinistry, but I don't know how deep I don't know you want to go into How you could this. do a sinistry with an event? Yeah, maybe. I don't know. Uh, I've I, never I... tried it, but. I mean, I can do it by just looking at it. You know, it's going to take me a while, but uh, maybe after you tell me what's happening, I'll understand more. Uh, well, at this point, I think we are uh, ready for the summary of our um, findings. Uh, so, uh, the first thing you said is that uh, this event. Uh, there's lots of unique energy going mm -hmm. on at this moment. Mm -hmm. uh, whatever's happening here, it could be very good uh, for financial things and for executive government. Mm -hmm. uh, there's a lot of benevolent energy, a lot of luck, uh, maybe to an excess. Mm -hmm. uh, there uh, is an element of control and learning lessons. Mm -hmm. uh, there is a huge lesson that could be learned at this time. Mm -hmm. uh, they're, they're very motivated for material things. So there's a drive towards uh, material goods at this moment. Mm -hmm. uh, deception around finances, possibly, and that that mm -hmm. might be connected to the sea. Mm -hmm. uh, this moment uh, has a, a lot of fiery energy, uh, explosions that could come out of nowhere. There's fiery communication and possibly communication about war. Mm -hmm. uh, there is an energy of sophistication uh, and subdued elegance. Um, and this could also be connected to uh, uh, warlike things. Mm -hmm. uh, there is an energy of um, uh, food and farming and industry and growth mm -hmm. in nature. Mm -hmm. There's also an energy of fun and music and entertainment and theater. Mm -hmm. Uh, there is a need for leadership and or entertaining. Mm -hmm. uh, there is uh, something to be learned from past offenses. Uh, there is uh, maybe entertaining uh, brings uh, these past offenses to a place where they can be healed. Mm -hmm. uh, there's a lot of chatter and gossip, and some of it may not be true. Mm -hmm. uh, 
this would be a good uh, moment for business partners and for negotiating contracts. Uh, there is a, uh, this whole moment is charged up. It is an electric mm-hmm. moment. Uh, there is a powerhouse of the sun, a bright, dramatic moment. Mm-hmm. There's a double dose of hidden and cloaked leadership. Uh, a leader can cloak themselves or can cloak a situation. Mm-hmm. There are lessons with controlling what you love. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's possibly even uh, a big, a boastful energy around concealing things. Mm-hmm. There's a frenetic energy that could almost be overwhelming. There mm-hmm. is so much energy. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's communication regarding dogma, education, philosophy. There's a discussion of fairness, mm-hmm. uh, negotiations, uh, charm in negotiations or fairness. Mm-hmm. Uh, activity with career and government are fair and possibly pretty. Mm-hmm. Uh, then we looked at the chart uh, and how it uh, interacted with Queen Elizabeth I, uh, so uh, she is one of uh, the people uh, integral to this moment. Uh, so mm-hmm. at this moment, she has a very popular energy around her. Uh, she may even have a possibility to gain weight. Mm-hmm. Um, she was very fond of sweets. Uh, mm-hmm. the, the plentiful to excess. Uh, there is a concern with humanitarian issues and groups of people. Uh, communication about war, uh, siblings, childhood, uh, communication about direction. Mm-hmm. Uh, she uh, would have a great change in direction or a possibility for great change in direction and communication. There are mm-hmm. communications about war. Mm-hmm. Uh, she is very interested in performing, entertaining, and using that as a way to heal. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a need for her to communicate about leadership over healing past grievances. Mm-hmm. Very creative partnership. Learning about romance. Mm-hmm. Shining light on hidden things. Mm-hmm. Uh, things are revealed to her. Uh, there's a communication about philosophy and travel and education and religion. Uh, she might not have all the information at this moment. Uh, she uh, is not uh, seeing everything that's going mm-hmm. on. There are lessons to be learned regarding an illusion, mm-hmm. uh, possibly a vying for leadership. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she herself could also be concealing things. Mm-hmm. Uh, is there anything that I left out? Hmm. Well, I mean, she has Mercury transiting her ninth house. So she has Mercury. Uh, interestingly enough, her her natal Mercury is in the ninth house and she has Mercury transiting. She has Mercury, Mercury transiting at this time, her ninth house. So, I mean, she's naturally inclined to discuss... Uh, philosophies and religions and things like this all the time mm-hmm. but even more so right now because she has natal mercury and transiting mercury in the ninth house would you like to know what uh, this moment is all about yes 
So this is the moment in which Queen Elizabeth I met uh, Granyeni Mahil, uh, who is also known as Grace O'Malley, the Pirate Queen of Ireland. <gasps> oh, I like this very much. This is very good. Okay. Yes. All right. I'm very excited to hear about this. I will say that this chart at two o'clock in this place, everything was very electrified. So I don't know if a lot of people knew this was happening or if this was just a meeting that had been, well, I'll just wait for you to uh, tell us what happened because I'm very excited to hear. Uh, so uh, I very much wanted to look into uh, the chart of uh, Granier, um, but um, uh, we don't have a birth date. Uh, we don't have a time. Uh, we don't have a lot of things. So it uh, wasn't really uh, recorded in the uh, Gaelic tradition. And then there was a long time where uh, her story wasn't uh, recorded by Irish uh, scholars at all. Um, in fact, most of our information of uh, Granier comes from uh, 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 English sources uh, writing about her. Uh, so um, some of you may have heard of Granier or Grace O'Malley. Um, so uh, she was a pirate queen. Uh, so she uh, had a, uh, 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 she was a chieftain uh, of the O'Malley clan and uh, would sail uh, along uh, the uh, western coast of Ireland and uh, plunder ships and uh, or charge them ransoms and uh, became uh, quite well known during her time, but then even more so after her time, as a sign of uh, Irish rebellion and resistance. Um, so, uh, Granier uh, was born uh, around 1530, as what we can approximate, uh, which is similarly the same time that Elizabeth is is born. Uh, and she is born uh, to... Uh, and just... As I go into this, this does involve uh, some of these Gaelic names, and I want to try and use these Gaelic names as much as possible because mm -hmm. that's the names that they would have been known by. Uh, that's what they would have understood. Uh, Granier never knew her name as Grace. Uh, that is something that happened many years later. Uh, so if I do mispronounce these uh, Gaelic uh, names, I do apologize, but I'm, I'm trying my best here. Uh, so... Uh, Granier's uh, uh, father uh, was uh, Dubdara Omalhe, uh, and that means Black Oak. And uh, then uh, the mother, uh, her name was Margaret, and uh, he was the chieftain of the Upper uh, Omalhe clan. Uh, so um, Ireland at this time is divided into uh, four regions, and Connacht is the most western region, uh, and that is where uh, the uh, O'Malleys uh, were. 
and they were on Clue Bay, on the upper portion of Clue Bay. They were a seafaring uh, chieftain, a, chief, a seafaring tribe. Uh, so many of the other tribes uh, or clans uh, in Ireland, uh, especially in the western part, uh, their main form of money came from um, cattle, the cattle business. So they would bring cattle up and down the coast, ship it off, how you know sell it to each other um and then a little bit of farming uh but the O'Malley's had this extra bit because they were right on Clue Bay that they uh, could get into their ships and then they could go and get money from the ships. Uh, so they could either trade with people or they could sell fish and oysters and things or they could just find, uh, uh, you know, other ships in the ocean and plunder them. Uh, <laughs> and uh, so that's what the O'Malley's uh, were very good at. Uh, so uh, there's a great maritime tradition in the clan. And uh, they, uh, depending on uh, uh, the the time of the month or the year, uh, they were either uh, friends of the uh, government or they were not. And <laughs> so uh, when they were not, they were called pirates. Uh -oh. And uh, they were they were happy about that. Uh, <laughs> and uh, so on Clue Bay, uh, there's an island called Clare Island, and that would become a, a very uh, important uh, part of Grania's life. Um, Grania was the only uh, uh, offspring of uh, Dubdara and Margaret. Um, she would have a half-brother born to her father before, um, but uh, as the only daughter of this union, uh, she uh, was sort of... The, we're dealing with Gaelic laws here, and so Gaelic laws are sometimes more progressive for women and sometimes less progressive for women. Um, but uh, she was treated as if she were the heir uh, of the clan. Uh, so, uh, and her, she was her father's daughter. Uh, there were many times where she was. Uh, there was an attempt made to try and get her to do the more womanly things of uh, sewing and weaving <laughs> and cooking. Um, but she really would have none of it. She wanted to be right <laughs> at her dad's side in the boats, going out on the pirate adventures. Um, at, at one point, uh, she, uh, well, she developed the nickname uh, of Grand Nual. Uh, and so uh, Grand Nual uh, translates to Grace the Bald. Uh, and this happens because as she was growing up, there came a time when her father did not want to take her out uh, on the sea anymore and said, no, this is, this is a boy's job. Your hair is going to get caught up in all of the rigging, so uh, you need to stay here with your mother. Well, she took this as, well, my hair's the problem. Oh, uh, no. And so she cut off all of her hair so that she could be in the boat with all the guys. Oh, and so no. she became known as Grace the Bald. Uh, so all of this plundering uh, got her uh, uh, clan uh, a lot of uh, money, and they were one of the uh, wealthier uh, clans in the region. Um, and during this time in Irish history, there's a lot of dealings with the clans. So the clans are fighting within each other uh, for uh, chieftain status, and then they're also fighting uh, with other clans. Uh, so if you know anything about, uh, about Irish people, uh, they never turn down a good fight. Uh, <laughs> and uh, so all of this is going on all of the time. Uh, these clans, these families are fighting with each other. They're making up. They're going after other families. And uh, the O'Malley's uh, were uh, no different. Uh, 
Uh, now, what starts to happen in this time period, going from the early 1500s into the late 1500s, is that England starts to take a more active role in all these clan disputes. Uh, so England uh, technically, or at least on its side, said that it laid claim to all of Ireland starting in the 1200s uh, with King John uh, and the Anglo-Normans who go, or even the 1100s when the Anglo-Normans start to show up in Ireland. They showed up because the Irish invited them because they wanted bigger, powerful people to go beat up the families that they didn't like. Uh, and the Ang- <laughs> So the English took this as a, as a welcome invitation. Come whenever you like. Uh-oh. And uh, you know what? Just uh, take all the land, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, uh, uh, for the first uh, uh, 300, 400 or so years of this, um, the English crown was a little bit too busy worrying about all the things going on in England. Uh, also, all the things going on in France and Scotland and all these other mm-hmm. places. And the Anglo-Normans just... Well, they just adopted Irish culture. Uh, So even though they still had these uh, Anglo-Norman Viking names, um, they just uh, married into a Gaelic culture. And so really they were at a certain point more Irish than they were English. Um, And this is how it goes into the beginning of Henry VIII's reign. But what happens is Henry VIII uh, decides that he wants to make his own church. Mm-hmm. And uh, the people in Ireland uh, did not uh, care for Henry's new church. Uh, <laughs> they they very much liked being Catholic. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, so once Henry uh, made the Church of England, uh, this also uh, really put a spotlight onto Ireland as to, wait a minute, aren't we, as English, isn't that our right to have all of that land? We should be the ones in control of everything. So Henry starts escalating uh, English involvement in Ireland. Ireland. And as the Irish families had done before, they were happy to go to the English and say, we want you to beat up that family over there. Mm-hmm. And so use the, the Irish families at this time think that they're using the English uh, <laughs> against their clan titles. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what's really also happening is the English are getting more and more uh, entangled in uh, Irish uh, land disputes. And then uh, just as decide that, uh, well, uh, uh, Henry decides that he's king of Ireland, too. Mm-hmm. Um, now, he, the, the English monarch had previously had the title of Lord of all of Ireland. Mm-hmm. And uh, he just decides, well, I, I'm not a lord, I'm a king. So mm-hmm. uh, he becomes a king of Ireland. Yeah. And as king, he starts sending more and more English agents, what is called New English. Uh, so that means people who uh, uh, are part of the new Church of England uh, mm-hmm. into all of these important roles in uh, Irish government. Um, and uh, a lot of these families are, are, are some of them, the ones who are getting beat up by the English are angry, but the ones who are telling the English to go beat up those families <laughs> are more than happy uh, to, to have uh, these, uh, in, these new English come in. Uh, so in 1556, uh, Granier uh, gets married uh, for the first time uh, to uh, uh, his name is is uh, would be translated to Donal of the Wars, uh, and he is chief of the O'Flaherty's. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he has prospects of being lord of all of Connacht, so the whole mm-hmm. western portion of uh, of Ireland. 
Mm -hmm. Uh, They have uh, three children together, and it is here that she really starts to come into her own as the pirate queen. Uh, So Mm -hmm. she takes these galleys, and she goes into uh, Clue Bay, and uh, she uh, just, English, uh, other Irish families, uh, uh, North African pirates, it doesn't matter. Uh, She goes, and she has the men board the ships, wait for her word. A lot of times, she could get the men to just pay ransom. Mm-hmm. So if you pay her the hostage money, then she'll let the boat go. But if they think, oh, well, this is some woman I can take her on, uh, mm-hmm. well, then that would uh, not end up well for them. Uh, <laughs> and uh, so she would take all of the men, all of the money, and all of the ships, mm-hmm. and just kept growing uh, this uh, this fleet of pirate mm-hmm. ships. Uh, and, uh, so she's doing this, uh, throughout, uh, the 1550s and getting into, uh, the 1560s, uh, and, uh, she, uh, her, her husband, uh, Donal has, uh, Benoan Castle, and, uh, uh so she, uh, is getting all of this ransom and plunder money, and in 1564, uh, Queen Elizabeth, uh, names, uh, the brother, so not Donald, but Murrow O'Flaherty, to be Lord of Connacht. So Donald uh, did not get the promotion that he wanted. Uh-oh. Uh, and then the next year, there is more clan fighting. Uh, so Donald uh, is killed. Uh, he is uh, assassinated, really, not really on the field of battle, but assassinated elsewhere because of a fight that's going on with the Joyce clan. Uh, so then the Joyce clan moves in to try and take this uh, castle, uh, Bonowen, uh, where uh, 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 Granier and her children are living and where her whole pirate operation is based out of. Well, she repels the whole Joyce clan, uh, but then decides that she's going to move back to Clare Island and she's going mm-hmm. to make her castle out of Clare Island because it's already an island. So it's already a great place to uh, let loose all of your ships. <laughs> Uh, and uh, once she moved back to Clare Island and uh, there were uh, 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 pirate raids and things going on there, uh, after, uh, I'm not exactly sure if it was a pirate raid or one of these storms that happened, but there was a shipwreck. And most of the men uh, were, were dead. But she found one man uh, struggling for life on the beach and she fell madly in love with him. Oh. And uh, uh, so, the I mean, the first husband is already dead. Not that mm-hmm. I, I think that would have stopped her anyway. Um, <laughs> but uh, falls madly in love with him. They have a very passionate affair. Well, wouldn't you know, there's another Irish family feud going on. And it is between this man's family and the McMahons. <gasps> and uh, so the McMahons uh, kill him. Oh, no. Uh, so she goes and she kills all of them. Uh-oh. Uh, and takes uh, the castle, uh, which is uh, Duna Castle, and this is where she gets another name known as the Dark Lady of Duna. Mm-hmm. Uh, the next year in 1566, she has uh, her second marriage. Uh, this is to uh, Richard and Iron Bor- uh, Burke. Uh, and uh, in uh, 1567, they have their child, or they, they would have a number of children, but their first child is uh, named Theobald Na Long. And that is uh, Theobald uh, of the ship. Uh, that is because he was born on a ship. 
Uh, So as she was returning from one of her pirate raids, she goes into labor. And as the story goes, she's in the the depths of the ship uh, giving birth and she gives birth and and she's nursing uh, her her new uh, baby boy. And this would become her favorite child. Uh, And so she's nursing this baby boy and uh, North African pirates attack the ship. Oh, my. And so they are uh, attacking on the top decks of the ship, and uh, her men are losing. And uh, she hears, you know, that that her men are are starting to lose. And so she uh, uh, puts the baby down. She picks up a blunderbuss, and she goes up to the top of the ship. And uh, she fires into the North African pirates and says, Take that from unconsecrated hands. Uh, and uh, her her men uh, won, and they they pushed all of the uh, North African pirates away. Oh my! Uh, it, it, uh, it's also during this time uh, we're dealing with uh, th- there's all of this interesting confusion between Gaelic law, which is known as Brehon law, and English law. English law, as we know it today, it's the basis of both the English and American justice systems, is this codified thing based off of precedent. Everything is written down. Brehon law, on the other hand, was not really written down. Uh, If you were going to be uh, the keeper of the laws, you just had to memorize all of them from someone telling it to you. So it was this oral tradition that was handed down over the generations. One of these things in Brehon Law is uh, sort of uh, an early version of no-fault divorce. Uh, So uh, there was a trial period, and after one year, uh, if uh, either the woman or the man did not want uh, to be in the marriage anymore, uh, they could get out. Mm-hmm. And so uh, Granier, uh, at least according to the story of her, uh, she uh, holds up uh, in uh, the Burke uh, ca- uh, Castle, uh, uh, Rockfleet Castle, and after one on the one year anniversary, uh, her husband Robert comes and she uh, leans out of the window and says, "I dismiss thee," <laughs> and starts throwing his stuff out of his own castle. <laughs> Uh, now, uh, according to all of our English sources, they were married and stayed married, uh, or at mm-hmm. least they were together. Um, but this was just a sort of way for her to get his castle. Yeah. Uh, so uh, she got her, his castle. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they uh, continued uh, to uh, uh, live together and be married. and, and uh, Or if not being married, they lived together and, and continued to have children and work together. <laughs> Uh, so uh, there is one story that comes of this from the, the 1580s, uh, when one of the old English, so that's one of those Anglo-Normans, they're Catholic, but they're from the uh, English people who went to Ireland two or three hundred years before. Uh, he is a tax collector named Theobald Dillon. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, it, if, if being English wasn't hard enough, um, being an English tax collector uh, did not make you many friends in, in Ireland. And uh, so Dylan uh, goes to uh, the castle of uh, of Richard and Granier. And uh, I have a quote here from uh, what he says. And this quote is written in uh, the Old English. So I'm going to uh, do my best to pronounce it the way that it is written. <laughs> I went there hence towards the place where MacWilliam, 
was, who met me with his wife Granier Mail, with all their force, and did swear they would have my life for coming so far into their country. <laughs> and specially his wife would fight with me before she was half a mile near me. <laughs> uh, so, uh, well into the 1580s, uh, they are fighting tax collectors together. Mm-hmm. Uh, in 1573, uh, Granier uh, goes to uh, one of the new English uh, 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 lords, uh, so Sir Henry Sidney, and she offers her her uh, assistance as a privateer, uh, which uh, Queen Elizabeth was very fond of privateers, uh, paying pirates uh, to uh, do the work of the English Navy. Uh, Sir Francis Drake was uh, a famous one of these. And so she, uh, Grania, thought this was a pretty good deal. Uh, you get to be a pirate, but the English crown still likes you. Uh, so she said, I will attack any Spanish ship. I will attack anything that threatens the, the, the Queen. Queen of England, uh, as long as I get to keep my little piece of it, mm-hmm. and uh, so Sir Henry was very impressed. Uh, okay, uh, the, and and says uh, in a letter later that uh, Granier is known as a most notorious woman. Mm-hmm. Uh, then the uh, a few years later in 1576, uh, Granier goes through uh, the surrender and regrant system. So uh, this is where. Uh, uh, this is where the English solidify in in one way, at least legally, their control over Ireland. And what they did is they said, well, you know, the last king, he proclaimed himself king of Ireland, um, but we don't technically have the papers saying that we own this land. Mm-hmm. So what we do is we go to all of the uh, local chieftains and we uh, see what their land is and we say, Surrender the land to the English crown, and then we will re-grant it to you and give you an English title. Uh, That way it makes everything uh, legal. And uh, uh, this, again, uh, a lot of these Irish families went right into this deal because it was a way to make sure that they were on the side of the most powerful guy. So whenever these uh, other families, whenever the McMahons or whoever uh, uh, started attacking, they would have the English crown on their side to go after them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so in 1576, uh, uh, Granier uh, O'Malley uh, does this. And so she surrenders her land and then has it re-granted to her uh, okay. by uh, by the, the Queen of England. Then uh, two years later, another one of these uh, clan fights starts up. And mm-hmm. uh, so uh, this is with the Earl of Desmond. And uh, during the attack uh, on the Earl of Desmond, uh, Granier is taken captive. She's taken prisoner. And uh, she is uh, imprisoned. Uh, uh, Eventually, Desmond hands her off to the English. They keep her in Dublin Castle. Um, And then uh, over a few uh, months, she is then released back into uh, uh, back into County Mayo. Uh, or Connacht, uh, uh, so uh, that she could continue what she was doing before. Hmm. Uh, then uh, in 1581, uh, Robert, uh, so her second husband, and Granier, uh, they help organize a rebellion. So they start, uh, uh, they're, they get back with Desmond, they somehow patch things up, and they start uh, plans for a rebellion against the English crown. Uh-oh. Then the English say, well, we'll pay you more to help us. And so they do. And so they switch sides. And, and so even though they helped ferment 
this rebellion, they then start attacking Desmond. Mm-hmm. Uh, in 1583, um, her second husband, uh, uh, Richard Ann Iron uh, Burke, uh, he dies. Uh, and then in 1584... This is where her great uh, nemesis comes into power in uh, in Connacht. Uh, mm-hmm. So uh, Queen Elizabeth appoints Sir Richard Bingham to be president of Connacht. Uh, okay. So uh, he is going to uh, be in charge of all English actions in the western portion of Ireland. Mm-hmm. And uh, he views uh, Grania as a pirate, which she is, yeah. um, but uh, uh, not a not a good pirate. And, so, uh, and are there so, good pirates? Uh, well, sh- the, the English at this time certainly thought so. <laughs> and uh, so he starts uh, uh, changing things within the English government in Ireland. One of these things happens in 1585 called the Composition, which is designed to try and help even out uh, uh, how land is distributed and help uh, with um, uh, uh, the the common man in Ireland to uh, try and, and get a more equitable system of rents going uh, within Ireland between the chieftains and the common people. Um, but it reworked a lot of the Gaelic customs. Uh, mm-hmm. So uh, even going so far as abolishing some of the chieftains. Uh, so there is uh, one chieftainship called the McWilliam, uh, mm-hmm. and that is what uh, Burke uh, had become. The McWilliam was like the big, uh, as high as you could get in uh, the Burke clan, and that mm-hmm. was taken out. Uh, that was a, that, That's no longer a title, the McWilliam. Well, mm-hmm. this made the Burks all very angry, and so th- they rebelled. Um, and so Grenier was a part of this uh, rebellion uh, against the English crown and against Sir Richard Bingham. And in 1586, as part of this rebellion, uh, Richard Bingham killed Grenier's uh, son, uh, <gasps> Owen. Uh, in another instance, uh, Grenier herself was captured uh, and uh, she uh, was sentenced uh, to hang. Uh, and her son-in-law... Uh, managed to negotiate with Bingham and exchanged uh, for the life of Grenier, so for her to be released from prison, and he put his own son, so her grandchild, into custody uh, uh, because he knew how important Grenier was as a leader of the rebellion. Uh, so after all of these years of abuses from the 1584, now nine years later in 1593, Grenier realizes that um, there's another way to fight the English, and it is on their own terms. It is using the words, it is using the legal system that they have been using against us for so long. Mm-hmm. And so in 1593, in July, she sends a petition uh, to Queen Elizabeth. Uh, to uh, try and and get her to interfere in what Sir Bingham is doing in Connacht. Uh, Mm -hmm. So uh, she uh, wants uh, to try and maybe even get rid of Bingham. Uh, She asks uh, uh, for the release. So uh, one of her her favorite son, Tibbet, had been taken captive, and Mm -hmm. uh, her uh, half-brother had been taken captive as well. And so in exchange uh, for uh, uh, for these, uh, her her family members to come out of um, captivity uh, and uh, for... 
hopefully uh, also the English to intervene in Gaelic law. So there was actually a part of Gaelic law that was working against her that said that she was not entitled to her late husband's lands, that Uh some of her late husband's lands did not uh, belong to her. And uh, so she wanted the English to come in and say, under the English law, actually it does. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, so in exchange for all that, she promised uh, to uh, make sure that her sons surrendered their land to the English and then have that land regranted to them, the surrender and regrant system. Mm -hmm. Uh, And uh, she sends this first petition and then Queen Elizabeth sends an inquiry, or at least uh, uh, one of her uh, assistants does, uh, sends this inquiry that has 18 questions in it. And this is where we know everything about her life is because she asked these 18 questions and Granier had to give answers to these 18 questions. That is the documentary evidence that we have for everything that I've been telling you here. Mm-hmm. She tells us who her mother and father is, how she got involved into piracy, um, how, uh, you know, her first husband and second husband. And this is where she really goes into the abuses of Bingham and mm-hmm. uh, all the things that he has done really to her family. Mm-hmm. And uh, so this is sent and then it is agreed that uh, she should come and meet the queen. And yeah. so in uh, September of 1593, uh, she makes the journey uh, from Connacht, from Western Ireland, all the way to England and then goes up the Thames. And uh, there are stories of her going up the Thames and uh, approaching uh, uh, Greenwich Palace and that uh, the children and all these people were looking over the hedges to see the great Irish pirate queen queen as she goes uh, up the river and Mm -hmm. uh, she made it to the palace and uh, on September 5th uh, which is what we've been looking at here uh, these two great powerful women of the 16th century meet Mm -hmm. and um, this is another place where it's unclear as to what actually happened and what uh, uh, the stories later became one of these stories says that as she went into court with Queen Elizabeth she did not bow to the queen Mm -hmm. uh, because she viewed herself as an equal Uh, she was a queen of the sea Mm -hmm. Um, not exactly sure if that is true but it is definitely something that the Irish like to uh, say she's Irish she probably didn't bow to her maybe maybe Um, (laughs) uh, uh, I I heard one scholar say that that Granier didn't know English and Elizabeth didn't know Gaelic and so what they did was they talked through in Latin because they both knew Latin very well Uh, I I don't think either of them knew absolutely no. Like, I'm pretty sure English, uh, uh, Granier knew a little bit of English and Elizabeth knew a little bit of Gaelic. But Mm -hmm. that Latin as this base language for them to talk to each other does seem uh, uh, as as something that would happen. Mm -hmm. And Elizabeth was uh, completely transfixed by this woman, a woman uh, who is equal in age to her and Mm -hmm. uh, somewhat equal in status, um, but had lived a completely a different life, a life of adventure and uh, with these husbands and children and a pirate queen and that they just sat in front of the fire and talked to each other about how difficult it would be to be a powerful woman a woman in uh, the 16th century and mm-hmm. uh, all the vanities of men and uh, uh, all, all these things and, and that they just got along very well. Mm-hmm. So well that Queen Elizabeth uh, granted everything in the petition. 
Uh, And uh, she wrote a letter on September 6th uh, to Bingham saying, uh, uh, you know, that she was going to grant everything uh, to her, that those uh, that her child and uh, her brother, her half brother uh, should be released from prison and uh, that she uh, should be a a pirate queen once again, working for the English crown, going out attacking Spanish ships and other (laughs) uh, uh, families um, and this in her 60s. Uh, and uh, she she did. Uh, now Bingham wow. also uh, tacked on to that that since he was the uh, uh, English agent in the area, that he had to staff troops uh, along uh, all of these ships and along uh, in her castle uh, on uh, Clare Island. Uh, that created uh, some strife, and eventually in 1595, uh, she would try again with the Queen of England uh, to have a petition to have Bingham removed completely. Uh, mm-hmm. To try uh, that the, she was suffering so much at Bingham's hands again. Um, But by that point, uh, Queen Elizabeth had a much bigger uh, problem on her hand in Ireland as uh, the Nine Years' War had begun and the Ulster Rebellion uh, was in full swing uh, with uh, Lord Tyrone uh, and Hugh O'Neill. So, uh, and that will maybe be something that we cover at a later date. Um, Not much is known of her life afterwards, uh, from 1595 on, uh, but it is believed that she did die in 1603, uh, which would be the same date that, uh, the same year uh, that Queen Elizabeth died. Uh, So uh, it is really interesting how these two women paralleled. uh, Mm -hmm. uh, So born around the same time, died around the same time, uh, both uh, very strong female leaders uh, in their uh, time periods, and and relatively close to each other, um, uh, uh, England and, and Western Ireland. Uh, so I think that there is a, a lot uh, that we have seen in our reading here um, to uh, bear up uh, that this is uh, was a very uh, energetic moment in history uh, yes. for uh, these two women to meet. And, uh, uh, you know, talking about, um, you know, humanitarian things. Yes. Um, Elizabeth was listening about that and uh, partnerships and all of these things I think uh, I've really uh, borne out. Yes. Uh, I find this fascinating. And um, I, of course, had no idea what you were talking about. And um, I think that everything does kind of, you know, show up. It's more in Elizabeth's transits. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Uh, It's very interesting. And... um, uh, worthy of more study regarding um, the relationship and their meeting and what they were discussing and how that affected Elizabeth. I can't say how it affected Grace because I don't have Grace's chart, but um, lovely, very, very uh, fascinating and lovely that we have these two very powerful women who, um, you know, have chosen to uh, get along and partner up and and work things out in a in a very nice way. And I mean, uh, Queen Elizabeth was the most powerful woman in the world, mm-hmm. so that's pretty awesome for her to be enamored with this pirate queen. You know. Mm-hmm. 
very interesting. Uh, well, I think on our scale of uh, right on the money to way out in outer space, uh, this is uh, pretty close to uh, right on the money. I think <laughs> there are uh, a lot of things uh, in the reading um, that that are what this meeting was. Um, so uh, I think uh, you did a, a very good job. Well, thank you. Um, these are uh, more difficult because there are so many different directions this could go. Um, but I do enjoy doing them and, and realizing what the energy was of the time. And, um, you know, I mean, this energy was happening all over the world. It wasn't just for them specifically, but by choosing a time, a meeting time, uh, we've given it, um, sort of a, a story, you know, and we can kind of plot out what was happening. And so it's very interesting. Uh, well, uh, that concludes uh, this episode of History and Retrograde. I'd like to thank you all so much for listening. Uh, if you would like to uh, reach out and uh, support the show, we have links to all of our social media uh, accounts uh, posted in uh, the show description. Uh, we'd love to hear from you, uh, your thoughts on the show, uh, maybe suggestions uh, for possible episodes, uh, anything, words of encouragement. Uh, well, we strongly encourage you to, to leave those there. Uh, we also have a link to our PayPal account there. Uh, every little bit helps us in uh, creating a better quality show and expanding our audience. Uh, so uh, whatever uh, you uh, would feel comfortable uh, giving there would be very much appreciated. And if you would like to be your very own Mystery History guest, we can make that happen. Uh, so uh, we have an email, uh, so Chandler's Mom at historyandretrograde.com. Uh, you can uh, email uh, my mom, and uh, she will uh, get with you about the details of how uh, you could have your uh, natal chart uh, read by her, or maybe a sinistry chart with that special someone. Uh, mom, is there anything that you'd like to add? Hi, I'd just like to say thank you so much, and thank you to all the people who are having their charts done. And I'm sorry, there's a little wait um, for getting your chart done, but I can only do so many in a week. And so please keep emailing me and I will get back with you as quickly as I can. And I look forward to hearing from all of you. Uh, yes. Uh, so, uh, as always, in conclusion, as long as your houses are in order and the stars are aligned, everything will be just fine. Everything is going to be just fine. Enjoy this Mercury Retrograde. It's going to be over on October 3rd. I think this might be coming out right around then, but hopefully so. And uh, we love you all. Thank you for listening. Bye-bye. Thank you so much. Bye-bye.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. 